Hello and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is a cross-partisan nonprofit building a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Inika, and this week, on the day after the election, our podcast team split up to get multiple perspectives on the political moment. Olivia and I spoke with Yasmin Sirhan, staff writer from The Atlantic, who has been covering the election and political matters from the UK. Yasmin reminded us that this election is a global moment, with global consequences. The world is looking to the U.S. to see what path it is going to take. The world is watching as the results, and the response to the results, unfold, and will continue to watch. We hope you appreciate the opportunity to stretch beyond our borders in order to put this election in a broader perspective. Thank you for joining us. Hi, I'm Inika Kodestane, and I'm a junior from New Jersey. I'm also the co-editor-in-chief of the Next Generation Politics blog, and I'm super excited to talk to you today. Hi, I am Olivia. I'm a senior from New York City, and in addition to being a podcaster, I am also NGP's Director of Outreach and Engagement and a Lead Civic Fellow in the city. I'm really passionate about ways that we can bridge partisan divides, but you know, at this moment, can't think about anything except for the election, so excited to chat. My name is Yasmin Sirhan. I am a staff writer based in London for The Atlantic magazine, and I've been with The Atlantic since 2016, but based in London since 2017. Very excited to talk to you all about this whirlwind of a day and what promises to probably be a whirlwind of weeks or months. Uh, we'll see. Living abroad, being a writer, following this election closely, how are you making sense of, of everything that's been going on? I will say that, you know, this is my first, the last election I was in D.C. for. And obviously that was kind of, you know, a really seismic moment. This election kind of felt similar, but I felt like there was a lot of apprehension. And you could feel it abroad as well, because I think something that, you know, as Americans, we we probably understand, but might not even appreciate the scale to which this is really a global moment. You know, whilst it's obviously our votes that are being cast and a decision that's being made amongst ourselves, the consequences are truly global, not just, you know, for our allies and partners, but, you know, as a world leader, I think the world really looks to the U.S. to kind of see what path it's going to take. And you best believe that, at least here in Britain, people were staying up all night watching, which is something even I struggle to do. So, yeah, I mean, as for following the election, I'd like to think just as any American would stateside, Perhaps the only difference being that you kind of get a keen sense for the fact that, you know, the world is watching as it's happening. And I think they'll continue to watch as as things play out. Yeah, I was perusing your article about how the world leaders who want Trump to win. And that was just such an interesting perspective to me because I feel like America's kind of acts like an echo chamber, especially during election season, because we're only thinking about the state of our country. And I don't think we really understand how that ripples out across the globe. So I was hoping that you could just go into more on how it's an international sort of incident and it has more of an effect elsewhere than we really do understand. I mean, this is without a doubt, you know, every U.S. election, not even this one, is is one that I think is watched by close allies and partners around the world. And and I think, and, you know, with, with that piece, I, I think something that I really wanted to kind of look back on is, you know, Obviously, President Trump and and his administration have reshaped the U.S. in a lot of ways. But one of the most visible ways 
that he has done that is um, through the friendships that he's chosen to have, frankly. One of my favorite things to do, you know, even during the Obama days, I love like looking at the sort of G7, G20, like those international summits and kind of seeing the photos that come out of it. And I feel like that's where you kind of get a sense for the leaders who quite like each other, the ones who are perhaps, you know, a bit more distant. I mean, these are the, the sort of scenes where we would see photos of like Merkel and Obama just, you know, buddying around. And, and what I think I noticed from the Trump administration is that the cast of characters that you kind of often see the president sort of cozy up to are very different. So some of them were the same. I will say some of them were the same. And that piece in particular, Narendra Modi is probably, of a, the prime minister of India is probably the one who I think, you know, has had a fairly decent relationship with both um, American presidents that he's worked with since his time in office. I, I would argue really say perhaps is the one with Trump is stronger just because I think ideologically there are more similarities there. But yeah, I mean, you know, folks like Rodrigo Duterte, Jair Bolsonaro of Brazil, Hungary's Viktor Orban, I mean, these are leaders that have had more tense relationships with the US in the past. And so much so, I think that they don't feel the need to, you know, in the way that India might or Britain might, to kind of have diplomatic appearances that, you know, they, they've already come out and voiced their support for President Trump. I've been trying to keep an eye on Twitter throughout the day to the extent that I could, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, following his sort of very premature election victory or declaration, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of came out voicing uh, support. I mean, we've certainly seen that from other leaders that are kind of like-minded to President Trump. Italy's Matteo Salvini, who um, isn't in government, but is a very prominent populist leader. France's Marine Le Pen famously ran against Macron for the presidency back in 2017. They didn't quite say congratulations, Mr. President, but it's kind of said something along the lines of what President Trump said. It's looking quite good for him. The relationships that this White House made with other countries and the company has chosen to keep closer than say more traditional allies I think is really interesting and kind of an indicator of you know where the U.S. sees itself on the global stage who are its friends who doesn't want to keep close and where its priorities are. In that vein of just, you know, the international role of this election, right, how other people see us, not just how we see ourselves, which is something we really seem to focus on on CNN and Fox. How do you think that's a potential civil unrest from this election and also just the atypical nature of the process, right, with absentee ballots and states being undecided and potentially litigating this to the courts, all of this can change our standing in the international community or can we change how people see the validity of our elections and our president? I mean, I think as far as the absentee ballots and sort of the surge in mail and voting um, is concerned, you know, I think the world understands that because they're in a similar place. I mean, the pandemic has fundamentally changed the way we do things and elections are no exception. And, you know, we've seen in other countries around the world that they've had to sort of adapt their elections to the particular situation that we are in. So in that regard, I think, you know, the world recognizes that, you know, this election is quite different to any other, much in the same way their elections would be quite different to any other. As for kind of everything that's just gone on in the last 24 hours from, you know, obviously the closeness of, of the race, um, I think probably like a lot of Americans and people just observing this election, uh, world leaders are probably looking at those polls thinking, oh, you know, could it be a bit of a wider margin than we're suspecting? So I think the closeness of the race probably is piquing a lot of their interest. And obviously, you know, that kind of 
surreal declaration from the president earlier today, kind of prematurely declaring victory uh, before all the votes have been counted. I think that in particular is something that's going to cause a lot of foreign leaders and governments to have a bit of pause because he has put them in a very weird position. And, and you've seen it here in Britain where even Prime Minister Boris Johnson was asked about it in Prime Minister's questions. And he, I mean, as I understand from a colleague, I, I need to tune into it, but effectively just refused to answer the question about that. And it's understandable because, you know, these are leaders and partners in countries who have an interest in maintaining a good relationship with the U.S., irrespective of who's in the White House. So they don't want to be put in a position where they're condemning anyone who they might have to work with. But also at the same time, you're going to have people around the world who are looking and be like, wait, this is the U.S. This is like the beacon of democracy, one of the greatest democracies in the world, one of the biggest democracies in the world. And they're having this moment of intense tension and suddenly the incumbent, you know, suggesting that he won't accept an unfavorable result. I mean, I think there is this American idea that the world kind of looks to, and I think they're suddenly questioning it. And my colleague, Tom McTague, has a great piece on the subject that is very much worth checking out on theatlantic.com. I'll plug that for him. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a moment where folks, governments and not just normal people are going to look and be like, hang on, maybe America's democracy isn't as great or as secure or as predictable as we thought it was. And that's quite scary. I mean, in my opinion, that's quite scary, even if Americans think that. But everyone's watching us right now. I think just going off of that theme of tension, I was curious because obviously this election has incredibly polarized um, the country, right? I feel like a lot of people have just surrounded themselves with people that they agree with just because tensions flare up when you get too close to someone that you don't agree with during a time like this where people's rights are on the line. And I was curious to how tensions are abroad with widespread support of the president or just of America in general and how that's playing into how people in other countries are perceiving each other as well as how they're perceiving the United States. Yeah, I mean, at least from my vantage point here in, in London, and I can try to speak to how I at least think the rest of the world is seeing this as well. I mean, something that I think Pew Research has some data on this. It's it's no secret that President Trump isn't exactly a popular figure overseas, certainly here in Britain. Polling came, it came out that shown that if the U.S. election were to have happened here, there wouldn't be a single borough that, that likely would have voted for the president. Um, and, you know, that's just, you know, that's I think that's common knowledge. It's probably not surprising. I mean, these are polling of populations. Um, obviously, government leaders probably don't want to say too much on that uh, for fear of harming, you know, obviously their own sort of relationships. I think obviously Joe Biden is someone that, even for people overseas who may not be watching American politics particularly closely, it's a figure that they recognize. It's someone that they're going to associate with Barack Obama. They, I think, largely see an election or a victory for Joe Biden is something of a return to sort of the America they knew, that sort of the America that has taken a position on the world stage, one that is less insular and more looking outwards, one that wants to participate in international treaties, but also multinational institutions. So I, I think they see this election very much as a return to something a bit more recognizable, a bit more of what they would expect of the US versus something completely different, something the last four years in America that's very much insular, looking inward, removing itself from a lot of the, you know, international organizations that we're familiar with. I don't want to certainly speak for, you know, where people stand on the election, but I think that like Americans, they see this as a fundamental turning point, I think, in which way the United States decides to go. Not just, you know, in normal politics, but even with regard to the pandemic. I mean, remember that this is a global issue and, you know, at the moment, Europeans can't go to the U.S. still, so they're probably waiting not just for permission to do that, but also, you know, to make sure that when they're going to travel, whether it's for vacation or to visit loved ones, that they're not putting themselves at greater risk. 
Granted, they are also mostly, myself included by tomorrow, going to be back in lockdown. So maybe that's not a concern for the foreseeable. But I think these are things that people are thinking about in terms of, you know, overseas, how is this going to affect them? Bringing us back to a more domestic line of inquiry in a very unprecedented statement, right? And not that people didn't anticipate it, but I think we were all a little bit caught off guard when Trump called part of the election a fraud, right, and committed to litigating it to, to some extent. What do you think is going to happen in the next, right? You said days, weeks, months. And, you know, how can that kind of change what's going to happen in the U.S. as far as in major cities with crime, even neighbors, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely going to be a contentious few, as you said, days, weeks, months ahead. I think, obviously, first and foremost, what needs to happen is that the votes just need to be counted. We need to carry on doing that job. Obviously, as we've discussed, complicated a bit by the pandemic, but still something that can and will be done. I think kind of going ahead with that, I mean, I would imagine within the next few days, kind of as we do with previous elections, we will get some indication of where states are falling. And, you know, Wisconsin, I I think, is a state that the Trump campaign has hinted, at least, I don't think they formally begun the process, but hinted that they will contest the results or or seek a recount. So obviously, I think those processes are in place. Admittedly, I'm not familiar with the timeframe on those things. But you know, that could very well happen. And as I understand it, the Biden campaign, at the very least, has kind of prepared for a lot of those outcomes. So, you know, I think both campaigns are really raring to go in terms of litigating this down to every last vote. But yeah, I mean, as for what it means for the country, and, you know, as you said, neighbors and communities, I mean, I think it's going to be pretty tense, uh, obviously. I think for me, the biggest concern of this election, more so than who wins or who loses, is that we are in a position where a large swath of the American population could walk away from this election in large part because of the rhetoric that has been said around mail-in voting about the president's pretty erroneous claims of fraud and all that, with a feeling that they do not trust the process anymore. And that's a pretty damaging and frankly quite sad realization to, to think if they had any faith in this process to begin with, that they would walk away feeling like something was taken from them. And that is something that I think like as Americans, regardless of where you're at in this process, I mean, we can acknowledge that the process is not perfect. Long, the long lines that we saw for voting this year, the pandemic notwithstanding, voter suppression, you know, obviously the fact that we we kind of, we have a very complicated system known as the Electoral College where a candidate can win by millions of votes and still lose. I mean, no one is saying that this process is perfect, but, but it is our process nonetheless. And it's, you know, this is our tradition every four years. This is how we do things. And if Americans start losing faith in that, I think we, we have a big problem. So that's the biggest concern on my mind to kind of see how that plays out and how the candidates handle that. And I hope for the sake of our country and for everyone watching that we find a way to do it in a way that people can really have faith in. Sort of steering this back to your own personal experiences. I know that you were in the United States during the 2016 election and now you're not. And I just wanted to know what what's the sort of difference between being in the two different places? Like, does it feel like you're on the outside looking in? Is it like, watch, oh, it's going to break and you can't do anything to stop it? What is the sort of perception of what's going on here from your side of the world? I mean, it's definitely different. It's not quite FOMO because, as I said, everyone's watching. Like, I think you could go to the ends of the earth and you still would not be able to escape this election or U.S. politics generally. It's just so big and overwhelming. But there is there are definitely differences to, to being an American abroad. I mean, for one thing, I think I kind of hinted at this before, but you do see things a little clearer from afar, right? which isn't to say that folks in, in the U.S. don't obviously see things. They have a better sense of what's happening on the ground. But I think you, you get 
sort of a distinct perspective looking abroad, in large part because you are also aware of how other people, i.e. people outside of the U.S. are seeing it. And I think that kind of adds to some context. You get a sense for how interested people are in this. I mean, one American in, in Munich who told me that we are unofficial diplomats. The reason being that if anyone hears our accent, you can almost bet pretty much all the time that they're going to ask you about the country, even if you haven't lived there for decades. So, you know, we are heavily invested, irrespective, because we have no choice. But perhaps the biggest difference, maybe not something that I kind of initially thought of before I moved here, was voting. Voting is very, very different for Americans living overseas. Slightly less so this year, because mail-in voting and absentee voting has become pretty common (laughs) because of the pandemic by necessity. But if you're an American voting overseas, historically, that has been a pretty tricky process. And whilst laws have been passed that have tried to make it a bit easier, so for example, under federal law, Americans overseas have to get their ballot 45 days before the election. That gives them ample time to fill it out, research, which let me tell you, voting in local election, like for local election measures and mayors, for a place that you do not live in and may have never lived in, It's very difficult and requires a lot of research. Certainly for me, at least, I spend hours kind of, you know, researching Alameda County, the mayor's trip. Like, I don't live there. My family does. So I feel like I need to do something. But anyway, yeah, 45 days, research, send your ballot back. It's complicated if, you know, life, as, as it happens with all American voters, gets in the way. Maybe you forget. You need to make sure that you have enough time for your ballot to make it from wherever it is you are often across oceans back home in time for election day. There are different states' rules, as I'm sure all Americans have become familiar with during this election. So, you know, voter turnout historically overseas, at least in 2016, was 7%, which is pathetic. This year, I hope and I think it will be much higher. I spoke to international organizations and individual states who've told me that they've seen an increase in ballot requests from overseas Americans than they have before. And and folks who work on this issue have told me that Americans overseas, even those who haven't voted in decades, are more engaged in this election than they ever have been. It's promising. And I think it's partly perhaps to do with the fact that they can't escape it. They may live in different countries and may have their own lives and maybe didn't haven't lived in the US for a while and don't plan on ever returning. But if you're an American overseas, you are going to be affected by this election, whether you like it or not. So I, I voted very early and I suspect a lot of, I know a lot of my friends did as well. So. I, I think that's an empowering truth that many, like, you know, historically almost silent voting blocks are now kind of getting a voice in this election. And we're seeing voter turnout amongst all of these demographics, especially, you know, Americans abroad that were not valued in the way that they are now, kind of gaining more importance and more of a role, or at least recognition. I think with that, do you have any messages from your experience, whether that be as a journalist, an American abroad, someone who's paid close attention to this election, to our generally younger viewers about either a message or something to keep in mind as, as they become more civically engaged? First and foremost, obviously, you know, the the moment that you are old enough to vote, and I remember when I became old enough to vote that, you know, it's just, if the turnout this year, and it is, I mean, by the numbers I've seen, historic, has shown anything, it's that this is a right that you should absolutely exercise. There are so many issues that maybe didn't get as much prominence on the ballot this year, just because of the personalities at play that are so, so important, that are gonna affect us probably disproportionately compared to to a lot of others, uh, our parents' age, our grandparents' age, uh, climate change chief among them. So I would 
100% encourage Americans to, you know, just take an interest and to figure out what matters to them and vote on that. But also to, as an American broad, to remind you that the world is watching us. And regardless of what our country decides to do, what leadership role it decides to take, I think we are always going to be a country that other democracies look to as an example. And we shouldn't take that lightly. And hopefully we, we shouldn't lose sight of that. That's all for today with NextGen Politics. Special thanks to our editor, Clara Medina, our producer, Sanda Balaban, and to Jeremiah Hunt for our opening and closing music. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org for links related to what we've discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded. This is Maggie Yu for NextGen Politics.